Welcome to another of our regular series of podcasts with Imray. I'm Kerry Herford-Jones and I am delighted today to have two gentlemen joining me to talk all things East Coast. And uh, first up, I've got Garth Cooper with me. And Garth, thank you so much indeed for joining us and uh, looking forward to this. Oh yes, this <laughs> takes me back a long way. <laughs> well, let's have from you, if you may, first of all, Garth, your 30 seconds of your background and uh, your sailing journey. Well, my sailing journey started at the age of five on uh, Barton Broad in uh, Norfolk on holiday from the family farm in Cornwall. I've quickly, my brother, my brother and I, realised we hadn't got blood in our veins. We got water. Gradually it got saltier and saltier. I've predominantly been a cruising sailor all my life. I've had, I've owned nearly as many boats as I have cars. Stupidly, I own two at the moment and it's rapidly bankrupting me. We can, all, we can all share your pain, Garth. It's okay. We're all sharing your pain. It is painful. But, yeah, and I've had the privilege as a journalist, as a, as a working journalist, to have actually sailed an awful lot of other boats owned by other people or boats which are just coming onto the market, i.e. doing boat tests and things. Not too many motorboats, but I'm a sailing man, and as long as it's got a rag up, up there in the wind, I'm, I'm a happy bloke. I smile from ear to ear. Brilliant. Garth, thank you very much indeed. Joining us today also is Dick Holness, your co-contributor to the East Coast Pilots. Dick, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Yeah, hi Kerry. Uh, pleased to be here. Dick, first question always is a little bit about our guests. So perhaps you could give us a little bit about your sailing journey to date and uh, how you've ended up doing what you now do. Okay, well, I've lived by the sea all my life at Home Bay in Kent and followed my big brother into the local sailing club. This was a heck of a long time ago, at the age of 12, and I raced dinghies for, for many years. Then, I guess in my late 40s, early 50s, I got interested in bigger boat sailing because the company I worked for had a couple of boats in a yacht club down on the Solent and ended up qualifying as a day skipper with them. And then I managed to wangle early retirement in the late 90s and bought our first cruiser and I'm now on our fourth cruiser which is a 36 footer which we keep in a mud berth off the swale on the south side of the Thames estuary. Dick let's just talk about the East Coast pilot that's just the, the one pilot book that you contribute to? Yes I got involved in this thing and it's quite enough for me to do frankly I look after a website for it as well which takes up quite a bit of time and if there's a message to anybody that perhaps is connected to uh, a particular area when it comes to writing these kind of uh, pilot books and getting involved in these kind of things, I think you've probably got a salutary message for people about not meeting them in pubs for discussions. Is that right? <laughs> well, well, indeed, this all started through meeting the late Colin Jarman and Garth Cooper, both for the first time in a pub in Malden where they talked me into joining them in writing this new pilot book. Garth, certainly from your perspective, it's obviously a work of love in many ways, because you're covering an area that you really enjoy sailing in, don't you? It's the best sailing. Apart from the west coast of Scotland, it's the best sailing area in Britain. And you've sailed in other places, of course you have, and those of us that sail a lot and have predominantly sailed in the Solent, what's your message to people that, that have yet to venture in your direction? Don't be frightened. It's not a scary place to come sailing. You have to develop certain skills that you don't need on the uh, south coast. 
I have taken friends and people from the south coast out sailing up here on the east coast and they have watched in horror as the uh, depth sounder dropped. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the boat, depending on which boat it was, but let's say it's a one and a half metre draft and suddenly there's just under two metres showing on, on the deck <laughs> and they are absolutely terrified. Now, the, you know, the obvious answer is that not all parts of the South Coast have deep water like that. We do have deep water up here on the East Coast, but, you know, it's all relative. We like to take the barnacles off the bottom of the keel occasionally, <laughs> once or twice a season. So, as, as Dick's got two keels, he's a lucky in that sense. But, you know, it, it, it does just shave things off the bottom by, uh, and the, you know, we have the most wonderful glutinous mud. It's absolutely wonderful stuff to park on for a night. If you hit the sand, it can be a bit hard. <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to sell mud now as a sort of a, you know, a life-giving property to it. Dick, I think we've got to just look in a bit more detail about these pilot books that Imray are, are behind and, and produce. There's clearly a great working relationship with you and Imray. Yes, it, it really goes back to our relationship in the beginning with Willie Wilson, who we was was then a managing director and he, he seemed to do a great deal of the work himself to be honest at that time and I, I think he was instrumental in developing the format of ECP along with with the ideas that Colin had and uh, yeah that working relationship began with Willie and has carried on now with Lucy Wilson running the company we're we're on very good terms with several of the staff there we can ring up and have a natter and ask advice and so on. It all, all works really well. It's a lovely company to work with. Let's look a bit more detail then, Garth, about these pilot books. Everybody gets an almanac, or most people get an almanac in one way, shape or form these days. The impression I'm getting is, particularly for all the pilot books that I've ever used over the years, that there's a, a reason for having them on board, and that is to get more confidence and to go into places perhaps you wouldn't otherwise do. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it's. I used to use what became for a little while was our rival book, East Coast Rivers, for example. Now, that gave me confidence to go into places which perhaps I wouldn't have gone into when I was a younger, rather more timid sailor. Today, yeah, I go into places, into established ports that I've visited over the years, and I always find something new. Mm, yeah. it's, it's that sort of coastal area. I, I mean, I do a lot of cross the North Sea work as well now. But again, every time I'm out there, I'm learning something new. And it's that sort of area. Yeah. And Dick, you were saying it's about helping people get more out of their visits to these harbours, these anchorages. Yes, uh, absolutely. We, the, the, each chapter of the book has a, has a kind of standard layout where we talk about the approach to somewhere, up, coming up a river or a creek or a harbour entrance. We talk about possible hazards they might encounter. We show them a small chart, section of a chart, with what to expect. And these are based on IMRE charts, but with additional information which we plug in. We take photographs of the entrance as we come in, photographs from the boat. And uh, in the most recent edition, we have aerial photographs as well, which have been closely managed by us. And we tell you what to expect when you arrive at the marina or the anchorage. We tell you what's available there. 
we tell you any wrinkles of going into the marina, for instance, <laughs> whether you need to turn round and go backwards or... Um, and and we give a hint of, of what you will find in the town or the village or whatever, but we don't go into any huge detail about pubs or restaurants or whatever that some of the books seem to like to do. Yes, yes. Uh, and the reason for that is that it, it all gets out of date within five minutes, so yeah. it's really quite pointless. I think what is important to make the difference between this pilot book, well, two things. One is we don't personalise um, what we're saying. We keep it level-headed, we keep it absolutely straight. It's very journalistic, very easy to read. Everything is done in absolute logical order. You find your landfall waypoints, which could be close to the offing buoy to an estuary or something, and everything is then take, you are then taken in and out in absolute logical order. And one of the things that Colin in particular developed at the outset of this was a thing called a rolling road, which is quite magical as far as a lot of people are concerned because they can follow that. It's yeah. a straight line, yeah. boys on either side, indications of as they pass a boy, which way they've got to turn to pick up the next one. And it's, it's a very simple diagrammatic uh, illustration of going in. And we have been told time and time again by readers, and when we do our talks to clubs and, and what have you, we get the feedback is, we love your rolling roads, they make it so easy to, to get in and out. And that's the ethos behind the book in particular is, yes it gives you confidence for the first time sailor, it was also an aid memoir to those of us who are more knowledgeable of the area, mm. or, or just check up. And, yeah. The other thing is it's been designed for the book to be used at the helm, you open it at the page for the chapter of the chart, or the, the, the port into which you're going, and it is all there, systematically laid out. You don't have to go searching through, as you do with some of the almanacs. There's a bit here, and you have to then go through to chapter yeah, five and, yeah. and all the rest of it. It is absolutely logical, and that's the way we've developed it. Dick, talking about inspiration here, we're, we're going to look at some inspirational uh, thoughts to get people to perhaps venture up into the east coast uh, of the country. Let's look at it from a newskipper's point of view. Somebody coming up for the first time, where would you recommend them to, to perhaps think about coming in to get a sense of the place, the setting, uh, and somewhere perhaps isn't going to scare them too much on the depth sounder? <laughs> well, I... I... <laughs> I, I can relate to Garth's comments about taking South Coast sailors out on your boat round here. I've seen it all, all as well. Sure I, 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 I would suggest they, they tackle some of the bigger rivers first. Okay. Uh, the, the, Med, the Medway or the Orwell, for instance. I mean, nothing remotely scary about going into any of those places at all. Plenty of water and clearly buoyed, very straightforward. And, and perhaps having got got the idea of the, of the layout of the area, then start thinking about doing something more adventurous. Mm. As Garth said earlier, it, it it isn't really scary. Some places have a reputation for being scary. But if you read what we've written about those supposedly scary places and follow our instructions almost to the letter, yes. then you're going to be all right. And that's the point at the end of the day. Have a pilot book, get confidence, get some knowledge, 
take your time over planning. I think that's the one thing that I think, particularly in the digital world we now live in, that we're expecting electronics to do a lot of this for us, but you can't beat actually spending a bit of time doing your research beforehand. Yeah, I, I think that's a very wise comment, actually, in this day and age. People expect instant gratification, instant information yeah and sailing isn't like that you've got to think about it first we have a golden rule here it's very basic and it's it should be taught in all sea schools you can use your electronics to the nth degree they are no good when the battery fails and you're lost because you haven't been running a log and a chart yeah we always run and we use the inray leisure folio charts we always run a plot on a paper chart that gives us a pretty good indication. If the weather's bad, every half hour. If the weather's brilliant and we know where we are, then every hour. But we don't rely 100% on the electronics. They are the most superb aid developed. But no, you mustn't, you mustn't. Yeah, no, completely agree with that. And having been on a boat with that problem, uh, I can relate to it. Um, if, I could, if I could chip yeah, in there, actually. Please. Um, I, I, I have a way of winding people up. Just like Garth, I, I agree totally with what he just said. And we have the in-ray sharks on board and so on and use them. In harbour, if I've got some visitors coming, we do carry a road atlas on board. It's, it's, actually, quite, it's actually quite useful if you want to go somewhere when you've arrived somewhere. Brilliant. So I put all the sharks away and get the road out the cell and open it at the appropriate page and leave it on the chart table. <laughs> <laughs> I just the mind boggles with the idea of that. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, where well, we go from here? Well, here you go. Well, here's well, here's not, a chart, yeah, here's well, a map. Yeah, not wishing to top, top what Dick's just said, because it's absolutely true. But when the, when the government started having interdepartmental ministry meetings to do with where they were going to put the wind farms, yeah. my old pal, the late um, Chris Edwards, who was the RYA's planning guru, actually, among other things, he went to the, one of the very first of these meetings <laughs> And during the meeting, he said to the, to the chairman, can you demonstrate the source of your research information? And the chap, the chap took a, a road atlas out, opened it at the page for East Suffolk, which is on the left, and the whole of the right-hand page is pale blue with, no, with nothing on there, and said, well, look, there it is. There's nothing there. It's just water. Brilliant. So he unrolled a chart and they all go, what's that? And he said, it's a chart. And they said, no, it's not. We know about charts. Garth, I always get an impression, and I have no personal experience of this, but the wind farms that have sprung up overnight almost, it seems, they must bring some pretty big challenges to anybody sailing in your neck of the woods, don't they? There are two schools of thought on this. One is, of course, that they're a very useful navigation aid. They tell us where the shallow water is. I mean, um, the Scroby Sands, for example, off Yarmouth. You wouldn't want to sail through the middle of them because you'd probably run aground. The same with the Gunfleet off Essex. The London Array, there is, some, there is a channel through the middle of it, but which connects two deep water swashways. The further out you go, I'm wearing my other hat, doing the North Sea, you've got them uh, springing up in 40 and 50 metres of water these days. Yeah, they are a problem. But the ones on the sandbanks uh, can be quite useful for navigational um, purposes. 
the key thing is don't go in them. Yeah, um, yes. That, that, you know, <laughs> there are rules. You can in certain circumstances, but they are at night. The reds and the, the warning lights and things. Yeah. You know, they stand out over the horizon. You come up and you say, "Oh yes, that's the gun fleet coming up." I know. I'm going to go to Harry, so I'm going to turn right and go mm. over the top, or I'm going to the Blackwater, and I'll turn left and go round the bottom of it. Yeah. On the other hand, there are quite a lot of people who consider they are ruining the seascape. Although in the Eatons, as Dick can justify, he's taken lots of photographs of them, you've got the old, you've got the things like the old red sand forts and yeah. stuff like that sticking yeah. up in the middle. Yeah. Again, they are actually quite useful navigation aids because they show you where the shallow water is. Yeah. You wouldn't want to run into them in the fog. No, no, um, no, no. You know um, you would have done. You know you have. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do actually run through the our local wind farm in, on some occasions. Uh, if, if I stand on the cliff top around the corner from my house, I can see, well, I've got the Kentish Flats wind farm, about which starts about five miles out to sea, and is a huge great thing. I can see the gun fleet on the horizon. I can see the London array out to the northeast, and I can see the Thanet wind farm in the east, down down beyond Bargate. And uh, so we've got an awful lot of windmills around here, mm. but the Kentish Flats specifically, if I'm coming back across the estuary from the north side, yeah. coming home, and if I'm trying to cheat the tide a bit, and I've I'm arriving across on our side a bit early on the tide. Mm. It is very shallow on the direct route from the Red Sand Tower to the eastern entrance of the swale. And I get deeper water if I run along one of the avenues of the wind farm. Ah, right. Okay, uh, that's useful then. Yeah, it is. It's a bit daunting if you do it at mm. night. Yeah, um, you know perfectly well that there's loads of room down the the aisle of each, each aisle of the wind farm, but at night all is the lights, and, uh, and it is of course perfectly safe as long as you don't yeah. run into one of the pylons. But <laughs> because the blades are way above your masthead, yes, it, it is a bit of a strange feeling. Yeah, I bet. But, but I, I've certainly done it several times, and it, it isn't actually a problem. Garth, going to come back to you now for a little bit more of a, a personal recommendation. Dick's already given us a couple of places to go for new skippers. Give us a couple of places to go for perhaps the more experienced skipper and crew on their boat and places you would say a little bit off the beaten track but well worth making the effort to get into and experiencing up on the East Coast. Southwold. Okay, go on. It's <clears throat> a good choice. It has a reputation for having a slightly scary entrance. It isn't if you're in the right sort of conditions. Like a lot of the entrances on this east coast, if you've got a strong easterly or northeasterly wind blowing, particularly against the tide, then some of these entrances are basically no-go areas because they really are really can get quite nasty. Right. And given that most of us, when sailing on holiday, actually choose nice days and Indeed. reasonable conditions, yes. then these places, you know, just follow the, the as Dick says, just 
follow the advice we give in the, in the pilot guide and you will get in quite safely and happily. Southwold is a, is a, a good place to go. There's a jolly good pub there actually. Then you can, uh, if, if, if you're really up for it, you can try the entrance into the Orr and Ald and go to Orford, which is um, pick up a mooring there. That's well worth a village, a lovely little village there. So there's a couple of good shops there too. Alborough, a bit further up. Uh, of course, with it, if you go right up to the top of the river, <clears throat> if you have a shallow enough draught, you can go to the snake maltings for the music and all this sort of thing. Wonderful. Uh, you've got the River Demon, which has, for, I don't know why, it has a reputation for having one of the nastiest entrances on the East Coast. Follow the rules, go in two hours before, or come out two hours before high tide, and you will go in, it, it's actually, I won't say it's a doddle, I, I mean, I grew up on the Deben, so yeah, I know all about yeah, it. Yeah. But it, it, that is, the Deben is called the Jewel of Suffolk, and it's, it's well worth a visit. As Dick has said, the Orwell, the Stour, the Harwich Complex, you've got a number of marinas there, which are all well worth going to. But another favourite of mine, and I shouldn't tell you all who my favourite place is. <laughs> go on, go no, on, no, go on. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's, it's Brightlingsea. It's on, on the River Colne again. Well, actually, that entrance is, you know, going in with a flood tide, keep off the Colne Bar, and that's really all you've got to do. Straight up the Colne, hang a right into what is a typical East Coast working village fishing Lovely. boat building and wow. everything and it's yeah. very well worth a visit yeah another uh, well you less attractive but is is of course the crouch and, yeah, and, yeah. and that area but yeah those are my choices if you are there's, coming up from the south coast there's some great ones there dick anything to add to that well i i really like the blackwater yeah and the, the places there that that Equally, people could think about going, but they've got a bit more experience. Bradwell, West Mersey, Tolsbury, and a, a delightful little spot called Haybridge Basin, which, which is a locked entrance into a canal basin, oh. a disused canal basin. Lovely place. We, my mm. club, often does a visit there for several days, and there are two pubs there, which are mentioned in a book, by the way. <laughs> And uh, a delightful tea shop with strong connections to Tiptree Jam. Oh, look at that. They, they do cream teas and uh, stonking great breakfast in there. And, oh, put, the kettle, put, put the kettle on, Dick. We'll be around in a minute. Well, what I don't want to do is make all this sound too attractive because... Uh, we'll get all sorts of people coming round here from the south coast all and it'll get crowded. <laughs> all these southerners suddenly appearing on your doorstep going, well, Dick yeah. said this is where I should come for my tip treat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing I know when I've been talking and I did research for these podcasts was about contributors is, okay, things change slowly in different parts of the world. Wind farms clearly coming up quite quickly. But does really very much change from one edition to the other, Garth? We are probably the most volatile estuary coastline. We don't cover North Norfolk and the Wash, which is another area north of us. That is very volatile. It is the Norfolk coast basically is being scoured away by, you know, everything's coming down into the other areas, which is causing problems. The Thames estuary sandbanks are 
gradually growing and creeping northeastwards because of this longshore drift. Normally, we'd work on updating the book every four years. Right. It might actually come to be three years this time, I'm not sure. But anyway, it is, it's not just a, a publishing gimmick. It is actually necessary right. because there are sufficient changes. Uh, as you say, the growth of wind farms, mm. most of the wind farms in the Thames estuary are being expanded. Yep. The ones in the North Sea, they are absolutely massive. I mean, you know, that's a t different. That's another subject in it, on, on its own. But it, they are. The government seems to have this idea that it's going to cover the whole of the Southern mm. North Sea. Yeah. In wind farms, mm. it is a, a rapidly changing coastline. So uh, it's, it's worth getting the latest updates <coughs> as soon as they come out. Yeah. Okay. That's what. That's actually where Dick and the website are absolutely invaluable. Yeah. It is, it is a, we're the only... Oh, that's oh. nice. I yeah. like we're to be only... invaluable. I, I have recorded that, <laughs> Dick. It's OK. We can keep that for posterity. <laughs> no, I mean, it's quite genuine. What Dick does, he runs He runs the website. He set it up. And we are the only pilot guide which has its own dedicated support website. OK. And we have quite a community of people now yeah. who, who come on to that. And so they can keep their books updated, but on top of that, of course, they keep they're getting the NTMs, other information, just about as soon as UKHO or the port authorities yeah. put them out. And Dick, that must take a fair bit of work on your part, but obviously again a labour of love. Yeah, it's it's been quite quiet this year because a I haven't gone anywhere. My my yeah. boat stayed in the yard all all year. Yes. And and b lots of other people haven't gone sailing and haven't been telling about things changing. Sure. But Gar's quite right. But between editions, probably on our website, we'll end up with well over a hundred detailed amendments. But when we actually create a new edition, we go everywhere, all over again, in our boats. We ask all the same questions all over again, right. and we find probably thousands of things which have changed, yeah. which we didn't know about. So it, each book. Although it ostensibly looks similar, in yeah. fact, the, the detail within is usually very different. And I think, again, that's one of the questions I know people like to understand, if you like, is about how do you know that what you're putting in those books is actually what people want? Well, I, personally, I regard myself and my wife as a typical cruising couple. Yeah, yeah. So what I tend to put in there and, and how I write it is what I would like to see in a book that I'm using. Yeah. So that seems to work out pretty well, I think. And what about the actual challenges then of keeping it up to date? You obviously rely on a network of other people feeding into you, Garth. Not, not formally. We get, I mean, when the book, edition five came out last year, we got a, a spate of emails from people saying, what about this? Or you've got this wrong, you know, <laughs> local people. Well, we do. You know, we can't. Human we beings. Can't be, we're, we're human beings. Very human, in fact. Um, we don't get no, much wrong. No, we, no we, we don't, actually. It's usually stuff that we've missed because we haven't been told about it. Yes, I get we that. Can, we can only ask a certain number of questions, and unless somebody suddenly pokes his head around the door of the interview room and says, oh, by the way, did you know so-and-so, and then you've got another tack. That, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And the other thing is that we go, uh, we do our, our, our cruises. I mean... 
as a, as a journalist, I have a camera, a notebook, a pencil on the chart table when I'm sailing. That's what I used to do when I was yeah. was was working as a, as a full-time journalist, I had in the car. Every three years or so, Dick and I spend the, the summer cruising specifically up and down the East Coast, revisiting every port, every estuary. We poke our noses into ditches where, you know, in the old days, we probably yeah. wouldn't have even thought of doing so. Yeah, sure. So we try and cover as much as possible. And, and we asked, as Dick says, we re-ask the questions. We have the book in front of us. We say, is this up to date? Now, what are the changes? Have these boys changed? Have you changed the facilities at this marina or what right. have you? And we have a real splurge on this. And then we sit down for about three or four months and we rewrite the whole lot. Wow. And there's about 75,000 words in this wow. book. Now, basically, we write half each, and then we proofread each other's copy, and yeah. then we proofread and read the whole book from front to back cover. Gosh. Gosh. So it's to secure our reputations as yeah. new authors that we yeah. try to keep it as accurate and yeah. as correct as I possible. That. I get that. And um, listen, there's a sense of pride in these things as well, isn't there? I mean, you're proud clearly of the area you represent and you want people to feel comfortable and confident in what you're putting out there because people are depending on this, on what you're writing and what you're putting in there. I hope they're not depending on it. That would put a tremendous onus on us as, as you know, as authors. We are advising. Yeah. Okay. We, we say these are routes that we have done yeah. and we can guarantee these routes because we have actually done them time and time again yeah okay uh, dick uh a few more additions still to come from you you're going to carry on working <laughs> well, with Garth? you're going to carry on working with him uh, then? well i don't seem to have any choice <laughs> <laughs> but you obviously enjoyed well, it you obviously enjoy doing it well we enjoy doing this we, we shall keep doing this for as long as we can and yeah. When we reach a great age, no doubt, we will, with Imray's help, endeavour to find some people to take it over. Well, you're, you're, certainly, leaving a, you're certainly leaving a, a long legacy there of, of a connection with this particular pilot book. And I can tell from both of you how proud you are of what you produce and, and uh, how much you enjoy your working relationship. That comes across really strongly. I suppose you can tell we, we both love yeah. sailing this area. And, and I, my wife and I go to some part of it or other every year. No, no matter where else we might go, because we like going to Holland, for instance, but uh, not been there for a few years. We're never kind of off duty with this job. You know, Garth talks about going everywhere when we do a new edition, but if I go to a few places each year, I will wander into the Halfmaster's office with my copy of ECP and just run through the details we have with yes. him just to see if anything's changed. And, and all this gets piled up on the website if I find things have altered so it's, it's it is a labor of love it, it's an tell. ongoing thing you can never escape from it <laughs> but I think it reflects the, the love we have of sailing in this lovely area and please I don't want to get wanted to get too crowded so <laughs> <laughs> don't make it sound too good can you please apply to the Garth and Dick website for a passage plan pass uh, which, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a limited yeah, availability. Yeah, <laughs> very great, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, gentlemen, uh, we, we could talk for hours. Uh, I feel like we have done on this particular pilot book. Uh, it's been an absolute joy talking to both of you today. And uh, first of all, Garth, thank you so much for your time. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, Dick, thank you. You're, you're welcome. 
Join me, Kerry Herford-Jones, again soon as I meet up with more of the people who research and contribute to the many books, guides and charts that Imray produce, both digitally and printed. This podcast series is produced to hopefully provide some inspiration and help you gain the confidence to explore more of the waterways of the world.